Merry Christmas, Keystone. Uh, I love Christmas, and so I love getting to celebrate with you all, see you all this morning, sing with you all. This is a, a highlight of my year. Uh, kids, we, we love having you in the service on a morning like this, too, uh, to see your faces, to have you be able to celebrate Christmas alongside the rest of us in the Sunday morning worship service is great. Uh, and so having the kids in, we like to start out a little differently sometimes. Uh, and so the, this morning, I, I've got a little challenge for you. Uh, whether you're a kid or an adult, you can do this together as a family uh, or with someone sitting next to you or just by yourself if you want. Uh, You've probably seen these before. Uh, It is two pictures, I'm not going to put them up yet, two pictures that are side by side that look identical, but as you search them, you ultimately can see there are some things that are actually different about these pictures. Uh, And so I'm going to put up one in a moment that has two pictures, Christmas related, that has 12 differences between them. And you're going to have 90 seconds with your family to try to see how many differences you can get. You're not going to get all 12. I don't think you will, at least. Uh, This is one that's not easy. It's a hard one. But I'll give you 90 seconds and see if you can get more than maybe five of the differences in them. Okay, you got it? Two pictures. Try to see what the differences are. You can talk with your family if you want. We'll start in ready, set, go. There are actually differences among them. Andrew and I found, I think, three when we tried this past week. You got to look closely. All right, I'll give you like 30 more seconds. (laughs) And time. Anyone not find any at all? Anyone admit that? All right, all right. Uh, How many, anyone think they found five differences? Five? All right, six? Okay, five was the max out of 12. Five was the max out of 12? All right, here's the differences. I'll give you an answer key. There they are. There's the 12 very small, hard to see differences. The length of the shovel, the way the snow's positioned, uh, how tall a chimney is, right? This was a a hard one. I was debating back and forth between this and another one that you probably would have found all of them in an instant. But one of the things, I, I show that because one of the things I love about Christmas is all the ways that we are looking for certain things. I don't know if you've thought about this before or not, but all the ways that we are in some way around the season looking for certain things. That maybe you go out and you look for the perfect gift for the people you love. Or, or maybe you're like my family, you love to go out and look at all the different light displays that people have up. Or, or maybe you go looking for your favorite recipes to cook around Christmas, to pull them back out and bake cookies again. 
or ultimately, I think everyone is looking forward to December 25th and Christmas Day ultimately arriving. But, but underneath and behind sort of all the festivities and traditions, Christmas reminds us that everyone is ultimately looking for something, not just at Christmas, but also year-round, that everyone, everyone is continually looking for something. You might ask, well, what what is that something that everyone looks for, not just at Christmas, but also year-round? Ultimately, we would say everyone is looking for joy. Or in other words, everyone is looking for reasons to have joy. Because joy isn't just this feeling that we kind of conjure up in an instant. Rather, we look for reasons for why we should ultimately have joy. And and at Christmas, there are often many reasons to have joy. You, You might not have to look very far at all for a reason for joy at Christmas. We, we might find it in the food that we eat. Ham, breakfast casseroles, and cookies. These are a few of my favorite things. Right? We, we might find it in giving and receiving gifts at Christmas. We, we might find it in fun songs that put kind of a little extra bump in our step. We might find it in time with family. We might find it in light displays and elves on shelves or just counting down the days. But the joy that we find in all those things can seem really insignificant if you're going through something difficult at Christmas or the joy we find in all those things ultimately disappears when the, stri- when the clock strikes 12 on December 25th and Christmas ends. And that's not to say finding joy in all the kind of traditions and festivities of Christmas is bad. We're not Scrooge. No, that's part of why I love Christmas, because I love all the kind of little things that bring joy around this time of year. But so many of the things we might look to for joy, both at Christmas and year-round, only provide a type of temporary, fleeting joy. Because it's a joy that's rooted in reasons that come and go. And we were not and are not made ultimately for temporary and fleeting joy. We are made for lasting, enduring, or you might say unshakable joy. And the good news of Christmas is not that we can have joy for 25 days of the year. The good news of Christmas is that we can have a type of lasting, enduring, unshakable joy, both at Christmas and throughout the year. God gave us himself at Christmas so that we might find unshakable joy in him. It's the joy we found or we find the, the people who are the first Christmas had, and it's the same joy that's available to us today through Christmas. And so let's read together. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2 to the very familiar Christmas story, and, and we'll read this together. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But let me pray for us quick before we read. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see new things or just be reminded in a fresh way of old things. Things that point us to you, to what you have accomplished at Christmas as you sent your son into this world for us and for our salvation. God, please help us to see and experience 
a type of unshakable joy because of all that we have in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We can see in this familiar story that you've likely heard and read before, both the surprise of joy, the reasons for joy, and the overflow of joy that we have at Christmas. First of all, the the surprise of joy. I read a passage like this, and I think, who are the people who had the most joy at the first Christmas? And it surprises us. One of the things that I love about Christmas is being surprised at times. In fact, sometimes if people ask me for a Christmas list or Christmas ideas, one of the things I'll write down is just surprise me because I want to be surprised. And so when we come to a familiar story, one of the things I love that we see in this is that our God is a God of surprises. And one of the ways he surprises us is by showing us that joy is found by unlikely people in unlikely places. Joy is found by unlikely people in unlikely places. Again, we might ask, well, who are the people this very first Christmas who have the most joy according to this story? The shepherds and Mary, who are the people on the surface who have the least number of reasons for joy this first Christmas, right? You've already heard this. You, You know shepherds are most likely outsiders, outcasts, margins of society, that, that they're kind of working a hard living where they're exposed to the elements, out caring for sheep, just trying to grind out a living day by day. Hardly anyone's ideal form of life. And, and then you have Mary, who's probably just endured nine months of intense shame because people think the child she's just given birth to is illegitimate. 
It's likely many or some, if not many of her friends and family have turned against her. In fact, people wonder, is that why she traveled to jo- with Joseph to Bethlehem in the first place, making the 70-mile journey when she's full-term pregnant, rather than staying back with her family and giving birth at home? Is it perhaps because her family has turned against her as well? O- on the surface, Mary and the shepherds don't have a whole lot of reason for joy this first Christmas. And yet they are the ones with the most joy in this story because they've just met or given birth to the Son of God. This is good news, I think, when we struggle to find joy because there doesn't seem to be like many or even any reasons for joy on the surface of our lives. Because it tells us joy can still be found even in those moments, which leads to the second way I think that God surprises us, that joy is found in unlikely places. Where where is joy found this first Christmas? In Bethlehem, a town that had nothing special about it at all. We, We can hear that even in the words of the prophet Micah, who hundreds of years earlier is predicting, where is the Messiah? Where's Jesus gonna be born? And he says it's going to be in Bethlehem. And here's how he says it in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. No one chose Bethlehem for anything significant. And yet this is the place where God chose the most significant event in history to happen. And not just in Bethlehem, but in a barn or shed or stable or cave, whatever you want to picture it, with animals and all the dirt and filth they bring. Get get rid of kind of whatever ideal nativity scene you might have in your mind that's maybe on your kitchen counter at home and replace it with more noise, more dirt, more filth, and probably more blood, sweat, and tears. And you've got a much more accurate nativity scene in your mind. And yet this is where joy is found this first Christmas. God surprises us by putting the greatest reason for joy in the most unlikely place. Why? It's as if he wants to peel back everything else, all the frills, all the excesses, all the other reasons for joy, and say, let me show you where joy is found. And just so we don't get confused, let me pull back everything else that you might think be a reason for joy, remove it, and show you, no, 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 joy is ultimately found in my son, in him coming into this world for you and for me. Which then might lead us to ask, well, how? How does Jesus bring joy? How do we find a type of unshakable joy in Christ? Which gets to the angel's announcement to the shepherds in verses 18 through 14, the the reasons for joy. Luke 2, 8 through 14 is Jesus' birth announcement. Birth announcements, I don't think, are as big of a deal today as what they once were. Because I think it's actually been almost replaced by the gender reveal. Right? Like, that's the bigger deal to us. So maybe for comparison's sake, you think gender reveal here. We, we make a big deal often of revealing the gender of our baby or announcing our baby. Right? We, we smash stuff, we eat stuff, and we maybe even blow stuff up. And yet in this announcement, we find that Jesus' birth announcement is better than any other birth birth announcement. Because if you get angels at your reveal or your announcement, you win, right? Like, I don't care how good your cake is or what you're blowing up. 
If you get an angel there, you win. And not just one angel, but thousands of angels. What we see is one angel shows up to announce the birth of Jesus, and then thousands of angels show up to sing this song celebrating the birth of Jesus. And it's in their announcement and their song in verses 10 through 11 and verse 14 that we can find at least four reasons why Jesus coming in this world is good news of great joy. First, because we can truly know God. We can truly know God, what he's like, and know him personally. Everyone has ideas of what God is like in their mind. Everyone has certain assumptions and preconceived ideas of what is God like. In fact, even if you don't believe in God, you still have ideas of what the God you don't believe in is like. That, that for some, maybe they, we picture God sort of like a distant grandfatherly figure who's just there to make sure everything goes well and kind of pat us on the back. Or maybe others picture God like a sort of cosmic killjoy referee who's just there to ruin our fun and looking for reasons to be angry at us. Or whatever other idea or assumption we might have about God. But, but Christmas tells us there is no more guesswork about what God is like. There's no more, I just assume, I think this might be what God is like. Because God has entered into this world to show us what he's really like. And so we can actually know him as he is. There's, there's this great picture, I think, of this in the movie Home Alone. I know I referenced Home Alone in last week's sermon, but it's Christmas, so I feel at liberty to do it twice back to back. This is for the first Home Alone. And in that movie, Kevin, who's a young boy, has certain assumptions about what his neighbor is like. You know what I'm talking about? The guy who's walking around with a shovel. Kevin assumes that neighbor is out to get me. That neighbor is going to harm me. And so he tries to hide from the neighbor and he runs from the neighbor. And it's not until that neighbor comes and sits down next to Kevin and actually talks to him that Kevin comes to realize what his neighbor is like and that all of his assumptions about his neighbor were in fact wrong. Christmas tells us God came and sat down next to us made his home amongst us, talked to us so that we can actually know what he's like and all our assumptions get blown away. John 1.14 tells us that in Jesus, God became flesh and made his home among us. He moved in next door. And he did that all because he wants us to know him and have a relationship with him. Tim Keller says, Christmas and the incarnation mean that God went to infinite lengths to make himself one we can know personally. God has not hidden himself. He has come into this world so that we can know him personally. And just as the shepherds and Mary met God in the person of Jesus, though they probably didn't realize that yet, so too we meet God in the person of Jesus through the pages of our Bible. And he surprises us over and over and over again because he surprises us both with how powerful and big he is, far more than we can imagine, that at his word, thousands of angels light up the night sky. And then he also surprises us with how loving and kind and gracious he is, that he sends his own son into this world to be our savior, which is the second reason we have an unshakable joy in Christ because we can have a savior the, the angels tell the shepherds, or the angel who comes to announce the birth, tell the shepherds that the child who has been born is the savior or the deliverer. 
See, when we come to truly know God, we come to recognize we need a savior. Because although God created us to know him and have joy in him, we rebel against him and our sin separates us from him. And we respond to that, every single one of us, by trying to save ourselves. And we might do it by trying to look for joy outside of God in all sorts of other places. Or we might do it by trying to be good enough for God and do a lot of good things, hoping that that will earn God's approval of us. But, but we cannot save ourselves. We, we cannot find the joy we were made for apart from God, and we can never do enough on our own to somehow earn peace with God because of our efforts. That's why both the angel's announcement that Jesus is the Savior and their song that he's come to bring peace is really, really good news of great joy. And it's good news of great joy that's available for all people, we're told. But it only ends up being good news of great joy for those who know they're sinners and need a Savior. Because a Savior is only good news of great joy if you know you need saved. A Savior is only good news of great joy if you know you need saved. Picture this with me for a moment. Picture tonight at 3 a.m., someone busts into your house and tries to pull you from your bed and pull you out of your house. On the surface, that does not sound like good news of great joy, right? But what if as they're trying to get you out, you realize your house is on fire? All of a sudden, the fact that they busted in to get you out is really, really good news. Because all of a sudden in that moment, you realize, I need someone to save me. If we think we're fine on our own, and we can just kind of do enough on our own, then God busting into this world as a man to save us isn't really good news of great joy. And yet if we recognize how desperate and helpless we are on our own, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, then God busting into this world at Christmas is really good news of great joy because he's our only hope to save us. Because it means all we need to do to experience the joy of knowing God is to acknowledge we're sinners and accept that we can't save ourselves and put our faith and trust in God's Savior, Jesus, who came for us. And if we trust in Jesus, then we can know God's favor. That's the third reason we have for unshakable joy. Thousands of angels burst on the scene in verse 14 and sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God displays his glory by coming into this world to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, and then to be raised again, conquering death, so that we can have peace with God through Christ. And for all who trust in Jesus, we have peace with God, which means we're now recipients of God's favor or goodwill or pleasure through Jesus. This is incredible because it's saying at Christmas, we get the exact opposite of what we deserve. We deserve God to judge us, and instead we get peace. We deserve God to punish us, and instead we get God's favor through Christ. This should leave us in stunned joy. This is what grace is. This is what the gospel is. We get what we don't deserve because of Jesus. There's this great scene in another Christmas movie that I think captures how grace should leave us stunned. Kids, and probably everyone in here, I'm going to guess you recognize this face. Who is that? 
The Grinch, right? All right. So The Grinch, and this is, this is the most recent animated version. Uh, I've not seen the older version, so I don't know. But in the most recent animated version, there's this great little scene near the end. The Grinch has just returned all that he's stolen to Whoville, all the presents, all the trees, all the lights, and they're all just kind of silent. And then he walks away in shame and loneliness, walks back up to his cave in the mountain, closes the door, and sits there alone. And then all of a sudden, there comes this little knock at his door. And he goes to the door, and he opens it up, and he looks down, and there's this little girl, Lucy Lou who's at the door. And he says, Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou. Lou. Well, there you go. I have seen the movie, all right? I promise. All right? Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou who? Cindy Lou, anyway, is at his door, and he asks her, why are you here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? And she says, well, I, I just came in order to invite you to our house for Christmas dinner. And he responds to her in shock, and he says, what? but, but you, you know I took your gifts and I took your trees and I stole your whole Christmas. And Lucy responds with a smile and says, or Cindy, sorry, responds with a smile. I'm butchering it, whatever, you still get it. Cindy responds with a smile in the midst of that and she says, I know, I know, but we're inviting you anyway. And the Grinch says, but Why? Because he knows, based on all I've done, I deserve that you should hate me and dislike me and leave me alone. And yet what he experiences in that moment and as he goes to the Christmas dinner is undeserved favor as everyone else welcomes him into their home to celebrate Christmas. That's a picture of how through Jesus we get God's undeserved favor, his undeserved pleasure, and are welcomed into his family, though we don't deserve it. If we come to Christmas or really any time of the year and we think I deserve better, we end up missing out on the good news of great joy of Christmas because the good news of great joy of Christmas says, no, 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 we deserve so much worse and yet in Christ we get shown undeserved favor over and over and over again. And because of that favor, we can now look forward to God's rule. We know God will reign as king. That's the fourth reason we can have an unshakable joy at Christmas. The the angel declares the baby who's just been born is Christ the Lord. Christ is another word for Messiah, which is simply another word for saying this is God's promised king. The good and perfect king is finally here. He comes at Christmas to begin his kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection. And then he ascends and goes away, but says, I'm coming back again to ultimately fulfill my kingdom and complete it. And this is good news of great joy. But again, it's only good news of great joy for those who trust in Christ and submit to him as king. Because when he returns, he's going to judge all evil, heal all brokenness, and make right all that is wrong with this world. That's why the entire Bible closes with these words from Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. Jesus, our King, is returning to rule over us and the entire world. And that's good news of great joy. Because it means that in the midst of all that's still wrong at Christmas, 
And there's a lot that's still wrong every single Christmas. All the pain, all the hurt, all the brokenness. It means our king is returning to deal with it and he will reign forevermore. And so just as we watch and wait for December 25th every single year, we're ultimately left watching and waiting for Christ's return. And that's why the words that follow Jesus' words in Revelation 22:20 are, amen, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, come soon. And even as we pray and hope for that return, knowing that that's where our joy is rooted in, Christ returning again, we can also still find joy in all the little things at Christmas. Because all the little moments at Christmas that we find joy in are really just a foretaste of the joy we're going to experience when Christ returns. Like the joy that we find in eating and singing and being with family and looking at lights and opening gifts and everything else we might find joy in at Christmas. Yes, it is temporary and fleeting in this life, And yet we can still enjoy it because it is a taste of the lasting, forever unshakable joy we're going to have in Christ when he returns. See, Christmas is good news of great joy because we can truly know God, because we can have a savior, because we can know God's favor, and because we know God is coming again to reign over us as king. And when we know that, that joy then overflows outward. Because what, what do we see the shepherds doing after they find Jesus, just as the angels said? What do they do next? They go out and they tell other people and then they sing praise to God. We find in them that their joy overflows both outward and upward. And it's the same thing that's meant to happen for us with our joy. That joy flows outward or overflows outward to others. That's the nature of joy, right? Anytime we find something that truly brings us joy, we want other people to know about it. Isn't this why we long for those we love to know Christ? Because we want them to have the joy that we found. Isn't this why we're commanded to go into the world and take the gospel? Because we we want other people to know the joy that's found in Christ as well. The, The joy we find in Jesus is meant to shine in the midst of a dark world as we tell others about our source of joy. This, by the way, is what we're symbolizing when we do a candle lighting at the end of our Christmas Eve service. We're not just doing this because it looks cool, although it does look really cool. We're doing this because we say, in Christ, the light of the world has come into this world, and we have found life and joy in him. And it's a life and joy that's meant to spread to others as we go out into the world. And that just as the light can't be contained up here, but spreads out into the room, so the joy we have in Christ is not meant to be hidden or contained, but to spread outward to others. And then also, joy overflows upward to God. The story of the shepherds ends with these words. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they heard and had seen and as it had been told to them. Do you notice they're doing exactly what the angels did earlier? They're overflowing in praise and worship to God because joy ultimately expresses itself in worship to God. This is why as we close a service like this with carols that you've heard hundreds of times, we are actually joining in the song of the shepherds and the angels as our joy overflows to God as we sing these songs to him. But the flip side of this is true as well. 
that often as we seek to worship God, even when life is hard, and even when on the surface it feels like we don't have very many reasons for joy, we find as we seek to worship God, joy starts to break into our lives, even if it's just a pinprick. Because we're recounting all that God has done for us and all that he promises to do for us in the future. And so, like I said, as we close, we're going to sing these three Christmas carols that are very familiar to you. But here's what I want to encourage and challenge you to do. As we sing them, think about all the reasons in them of why we have joy at Christmas. They're loaded with reasons of why we have joy at Christmas. And so take note of what what are all the different reasons they're telling us of why we can have joy in Christ at Christmas. And sing for joy, not because of how things are going in your life currently, whether good or bad, but sing for joy because in Christ, we've found the one who is the source of our unshakable joy, both at Christmas and year round. Would you stand and join with us to sing to close this morning?